0: Today on Government Matters, the future of the federal government's financial health. The commissioner of the Bureau of the Fiscal Service tells you how good or bad it is. The sweet spot for tech, the intersection of cloud and agile development. State Department CIO Stuart McGuigan on how he's driving change. And a new building is a new opportunity for the FCC. Its new CIO tells you what he's looking for to transform his agency's mission. Government Matters starts right now from washington dc and around the world this is government matters with francis rose thanks for watching the weekend edition of government matters the only show covering the latest news trends and topics that matter to the business of government i'm your host francis rose the Treasury Department's Bureau of the Fiscal Service now offers a tool taxpayers can use to track government spending. The Bureau is also cutting the number of paper checks it cuts, and it's making payments on behalf of more government offices. Tim Gribbins, the Commissioner of the Treasury's Bureau of the Fiscal Service, he's with Marjorie Sensor.
1: Well, the Treasury, we released a 10-year vision uh, two years ago. And each year, we released a progress statement. So two weeks ago, I released the prog- a progress statement. And what's different this year is I added an element, uh, one of the goals on government financing. So. the the debt that Treasury issues to fund the operations of the government, which last year was $11.7 trillion in awards of marketable securities through 325 auctions. I thought it was important to include that in this this progress statement. The progress statement is uh, is part of the Bureau's values. We have five values. One is on accountability. This is all about accountability. We say what we're going to do, we show how we're doing against that accountability. And then the second one is collaboration. This is not something that Treasury does in isolation. It's through a collaboration with all of the agencies that we support as well as the financial community at large.
2: You have a lot of interesting initiatives you're working on that are outlined. Um, One of the ones is helping the Defense Department switch to Treasury for its disbursements. How is that going?
1: That's actually going really well. The Treasury uh, Department has been working closely with the Defense Department on being able to to change their disbursements from doing it themselves to having it done through the Bureau. Uh, We've already exceeded through the work with them on where we thought we would be to date. So Department of Defense identified 15, we'll call them programs, but dispersing programs that they had, and they've already merged nine into the Bureau's disbursements. They have more to go. Uh, we are exceeding their expectations on what they thought they would be able to disperse through us. And then they expect to, in 2019, we dispersed 60, approximately 66 billion of defense disbursements through, uh, through the Bureau. And then by, in two more years, we expect that to increase to nearly 480 billion.
2: Wow, what are the advantages for, for DOD or, or any other agency who chooses this, this route?
1: The advantages are by, by dispersing through Treasury, you have the advantages of all of the centralized services that we provide as part of our disbursement uh, our disbursement services. You have the automated reports that we provide that is used for accounting. So when you talk about dispersing, there's a lot of accounting that goes with that. And we provide that, that accounting support, which will help DOD in the audibility of their financial statements. And then it also is a cost savings because they have to duplicate disbursement activities across 15 programs versus Treasury's one program for disbursements.
2: Are you making that case to other agencies as well, other government offices, that they can see those same advantages?
1: We, we are. In fact, we, we have most uh, agencies are dispersing through, through, the, through the Bureau, uh, but we're still talking to the, the remaining few that have not, but the Department of Defense is by far the largest. Sure. Uh,
2: another area of focus I know you're working on is, is G-invoicing. Um, what is it? What, what are you working on there?
1: So the think about G-invoicing is there's is a lot of business that the government transacts with itself from one agency to the other and there's no standard way of doing that. They have different forms uh, that would dictate the terms of a buy-sell transaction. Uh, what G-invoicing does is it automates that. So it automates the process of defining the accounting that's going to be treated. So as a as an agency, I might treat a transaction with another agency in one way, and the other agency might treat it in another way, which creates an intergovernmental difference. The reason that's a problem is you can't eliminate that when you consolidate the financial statements of all the different agencies into a consolidated government statement. And you need to be able to eliminate those to have a Better accounting for the true financial transactions of the federal government. So G invoicing helps to automate that process, it helps agencies with the workflow as they're going through their internal approval process on these interagency agreements, and it it then will help inform the payment process.
2: What's been your progress on that? What's the path forward for that effort?
1: So we have uh, we've been working with agencies on what that PATH FORWARD MIGHT MEAN. SO WE ASKED AGENCIES TO to provide us their implementation plans. Uh, We ask them to provide what are some of the pain points associated with it, what are some of the things that they would like to see in the G invoicing platform that will make it easier for them to implement it. As you can imagine, there's a lot of challenges associated with that, and we're working closely with agencies on how to make the changes that they've requested in the application so that they can use it within their organizations. We are we have set a a deadline of when we would like to have this implemented with the understanding that that um, there are going to be still some challenges, but not any that we can't overcome.
2: What are the? What was the feedback that you received from agencies? What are the key issues that they might have? Because it seems like this could save them quite a bit of, of time and effort if they're able to move.
1: So one of the issues was that the workflow that I talked about before there were certain approval processes that were built into the workflow. Some agencies asked for additional levels of approval depending on how they how they handle that within their own agency. One of the challenges is that if I am on G-invoicing and you're an agency and you're not, as a trading partner how's, how's that going to work? So those are some of the main challenges that we're trying to work through as well as the system implementation. They have to make changes on their
0: system to be able to use this. Up next, the State Department's IT sweet spot. Straight ahead on Government Matters, what it's doing differently to get different results. You're watching ABC7. Welcome back. The State Department is re-engineering its information technology operation. It's found what its chief information officer calls the sweet spot of capabilities delivery. Stuart McGuiggins, the CIO at the State Department. Stuart, welcome back. It's great to have you here. Great to be what here. What is that sweet spot? You described it to me this week as, uh, as cloud and agile being the two main pieces. How do they fit together to create that sweet spot?
3: So you, you, you think about conducting diplomacy w- worldwide. We're frequently in a situation where we're dealing with emerging issues that scale up very quickly uh, and then can scale down very quickly so a combination of cloud or software defined infrastructure allows us to have that scale without having the residual capital investment we can bring it back down and then agile agile is how we operate i mean when something happens in the world the state department creates a task force uh, of all kinds of experts that come together to evaluate a situation and make recommendations. And so that, in a word, is really agile. So mm-hmm. I think the way that IT is beginning to operate really is consistent with our core culture.
0: The, the pieces seemed to be in place then when, when you came into the State Department. It had the tools it needed to execute this vision, it sounds like. Well, I, I think
3: we had a lot of the pieces in mm-hmm. place, but with uh, extraordinary leadership support from the secretary uh, the undersecretary on down. We've been able to better align those pieces and give people the authority to do the work they need to do. The workforce is just tremendous. We have this enormous talent, dedication, and mission focus. And so a lot of my job has just been aligning things to let those teams do the work they need to do.
0: And you're putting your authority where your mouth is when it comes to that workforce. You've created the Information Technology Executive Council. What does that mean, and what do those people that are involved with that do?
3: So uh, when I arrived, the secretary made a very strong uh, uh, announcement uh, of, of my coming on board, which was I'd be responsible for oversight for every aspect of IT. And you can imagine in a decentralized organization with many IT functions, people looked at that and wondered what that meant. And so what we've done is, uh, first, we've reassured people that uh, oversight is an operate. So we're mm-hmm. not centralizing operations. We are a decentralized organization. We have a wide, the widest variety of missions in the federal government, and we need people to have the authority to do what they need to do when when they need to do it. But we don't want to be fragmented mm-hmm. just because we're decentralized. So we've created a body called iTech that is inclusive of every IT leader and every bureau in the department representing about $2.4, $2.5 billion of technology spend to create an overall architecture, to create an overall workforce plan, to create an overall cybersecurity uh, function and oversight. And that's been just tremendously successful. I think it really has fit in well with how the department operates.
0: So you have visibility and you have oversight and you have a degree of control but you don't give orders, it sounds like. It, you're, you're engaging in a dialogue with the people who are in the field.
3: So we set up some very high principles, which is we always have to be very clear on what the mission is. And that sounds obvious, but it's not always easy to do in IT and also transparency. Mm-hmm. So you may need to operate on your own in a bureau, but you need to do that in the cold light of day you may be doing some work in technology that is so advanced and so sophisticated, we need to make that available to the entire department. So either you benefit from being part of the large department, you can do what you do faster, better, at a lower cost because we already have capabilities, or you're doing something radically new and innovative and now that needs to be made available to the entire department. So it's really almost a clearinghouse. Mm -hmm. And when you put that uh, mission alignment in place and that transparency, people just tend to do the right things.
0: The decentralization concept sounds kind of counterintuitive because of the complaints that CIOs have had throughout all the years I've been covering the government about shadow IT. But it sounds like you're confident that you have enough visibility into what everybody's doing that that's not going to be an issue in this
3: Right. Case. So we don't use the word shadow IT. Everyone, <laughs> everyone is out of their shadows. Uh, and they're part of the community of IT leaders, each who have their, uh, their own purpose. Um, so, you know, the, the goal really is to be faster, better, and lower cost, more cost effective in delivering technology. Centralization is one tool for achieving that, but in IT we often get confused we confuse centralization as an end rather than a means and we over-centralize and we lose our responsiveness to the field to the to the emerging situations that our people are facing.
0: And that circles us back to the discussion at the beginning of our conversation about agility and the ability to scale up down um, regardless of what the challenge is that's presented in the field.
3: Exactly, so if we have an overarching architecture that provides basic infrastructure capability, cloud, connectivity, mobility, and those are the building blocks. We can then decentralize the development of specific applications to bring them closer to the customer. I mean, IT, Sometimes we say we need to be close to the customer, and other times we see, say we need to be standardized and centralized, and really we need to be both.
0: FCW reports, you recently said we're using data analytics to drive IT strategy in an incredibly rigorous way. How so, Stuart?
3: So we have about 270 plus posts throughout the world and each one has a slightly different or sometimes very different configuration of missions. We staff different types of foreign service officers, we fund different types of programs. We can use that input to create a cluster analysis and see what posts look alike across different regions. And those clusters can then be used to look at what technology infrastructure do they need all in? Not just one piece, not just mobile, not just bandwidth, but what is the total technology platform that cluster needs? And then we can assess where they are versus that baseline enabling technology. And then the roadmap is what piece do you need next? What piece do you need next? What piece do you need next? And that gives us a tremendously rigorous analytical way to drive from strategy to technology investment.
0: Do you have the analytics capability to be able to keep that on a continuous loop so that no matter what happens in what part of the world, you can, again, scale up or down to meet the needs of that particular operation? So we have
3: two things in our favor. One is we have tremendously detailed raw data. The department has rolled out cloud capabilities to virtual all its employees. So a couple of years ago, I think we were lagging. Uh, The federal government, now I think we're in a leading position where everyone has access to cloud capabilities, and we can actually see the traffic. So we see the data on how infrastructure is being used. I heard from a a post the other day that they thought they didn't have enough bandwidth, enough connectivity. We looked. They weren't consuming half of their connectivity, so they had some other issue. So we could get very clearly into the details on what good is for those
0: posts. Stuart McGuigan, thanks very much for coming on. It's great to have you here. It's been a pleasure. Up next, the IT monetization path at the Federal Communications Commission. Straight ahead on Government Matters, how the FCC's new headquarters will drive a new IT strategy. You're watching ABC7. Federal Communications Commission has a new headquarters building on the way and new plans for IT modernization. The agency will use the new space to optimize its IT infrastructure, and make updates. Francisco Salguero is chief information officer at the Federal Communications Commission. Francisco, welcome. It's great to have you on the program. What does the blueprint look like for IT modernization at the organization?
4: So. The Blueprint really, as you mentioned, the headquarters moves a big component of that. Uh, So we've been adopting cloud for several years now, and so for us, it's really about accelerating some of that from the infrastructure side as well, not just the applications. Uh, We are looking at migrating into the voice over IP cloud. Mm -hmm. Uh, So from that perspective, no longer on-prem solution for our voice communications, and expanding that to the field as well, not just headquarters. So the blueprint is the headquarters, Mm -hmm. but it will be expanded out to the field. In addition, we have the virtual desktop infrastructure will help people actually use their office automation applications. Uh, we're looking to make sure that we leverage that and put that into the cloud as well. That gives us better ability to uh, not only look at the performance, how we're doing, uh, making sure that we're actually able to more proactively work with the users and their needs as the data analytics and all the other GIS type of issues become even more um, important and Mm -hmm. critical as far as making sure we have the performance and the bandwidth available for those type of solutions.
0: You come to the FCC from USDA. You spent a long time there. How are you going about learning what the people in the field and in headquarters at FCC need out of, say, a virtual desktop, that kind of thing?
4: Absolutely. Uh, One of the key things is when I initially got there was starting to meet with the bureau and office chiefs and understanding what their needs were. Uh, not just from the VDI perspective but just their overall IT needs. Mm -hmm. Not going there with the agenda and say okay we're going to do such and such but more so how can we help? What are the things you need from us to make sure IT can make your jobs easier, make sure your work that you do every day is not hindered by IT but actually helped by IT.
0: It strikes me that that is a residual effect of the time that you spend at USDA because that's what the Centers of Excellence are all about. What's the mission delivery need of a particular organization and then how does Artificial intelligence, uh, RPA is the new one being stood up, information technology and infrastructure right. at USDA. How does that support the mission, right? That's what you're going for.
4: Absolutely, absolutely. And one of the things for us from an IT perspective is not to come in with the book of the buzzwords mm-hmm. and say, okay, this is how we're going to implement RPA for your artificial intelligence, things like that, but more so just talking and understanding what the need is. Mm-hmm. And then from an IT side, we are then going to implement those technologies to help them. So not necessarily showing them how the sausage is made, but more importantly showing to them the solutions and the functionality we can provide.
0: In a Fatara environment, what's your plan for interacting with the other CXOs at the FCC so that you can do exactly what you suggested, be that person who is a a valuable, trusted advisor to the other CXOs Mm -hmm. and be able to receive that same kind of information from them?
4: The great thing about Fatara, it actually gave... The CIO is the ability to have a seat at the table, mm-hmm. even more so uh, and really talking about what do we need to do, not just from the IT, but from the business. And so the CIO is really now not just technologist, but a business partner mm-hmm. and be able to use the vernacular of the business and the program to say, okay, what are the solution sets that you need that we can help provide? And then really about not looking at it just from the standpoint of saying, okay, you need to have Excel, and this is how we're going to provide Excel to you. But, okay, you need to have a way to do complicated calculations. Is Excel the right way mm-hmm. to go, or is there another tool set that we need to look at?
0: That's going to be your job then to be that person to be able to help make those decisions, right?
4: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: What do you think are the, potentially the biggest roadblocks in to getting to where you want to go? Not necessarily because it's uh, endemic to FCC, but just in the technology world in general today.
4: Uh, so on that one, actually, I'm going to have to quote my previous boss, Gary Washington. <laughs> so one of the things he really liked to talk about is you cannot let your future be hostage of your past, mm. or your past be you know, hostage of the future. Type yep. issue. Um, so I'm butchering that, that, uh, that um, saying. But yeah. at the end of the day, it's about not saying I can't do something just because it's been tried before. Mm-hmm. It's not going to work. I think that's something that, the, that I was able to learn from the COE's perspective and say, okay, how can we move forward? Even if we've tried something before, doesn't mean we shouldn't try again. And then building partnerships with the business, that's critical. You know, To make any, any IT modernization successful, you have to have the partners with you and you have to have their trust. Uh, so building that trust is through incremental and phased approach, to basically by solutions to them that they're going to see in a matter of months and not years.
0: Well, how are you gonna measure your success? As, as you mentioned, you've been there for just a couple of months. How will you look back in a year from now or two years from now or whatever and say, yes, we're on target with the the milestones that I that I set up?
4: Well, to be honest, for me, it's going to be pretty easy with this headquarter <laughs> move. Uh, so we have to make sure that we not only deliver the IT solutions we have today, but it's enhanced so that the VDI cloud provides the performance necessary, not just for regular office automation users, but those power users mm-hmm. that I spoke about. And really having them to be able to to understand that their day-to-day work is not going to be again hindered by IT, but that we can actually react in a more proactive manner. Um, so we're not basically having a fire drill when somebody calls us because there's a problem with performance. We're actually proactively knowing, noticing that there may be a performance issue, we can address it before it does become an issue.
0: We have about 30 seconds left. What's your sense of the state of the IT workforce at the FCC, what, the need, what your need gaps may be, and where you're very strong so far?
4: Interesting enough, we're actually starting to make that assessment internally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we are today, 10% of our staff could retire today. By 2024, that will be 40% of the staff. Um, so we have to have the right succession planning, and we have to have the right plan to implement as we have people retire and relieve or the organization. We have to be able to backfill them, but not necessarily backfill them from a like-to-like perspective, but what are the needs? What are the positions that we can do from a ladder position, not just from a... 13 to a 13 but maybe a ladder position somebody can grow into it and bring mm-hmm. in more of those uh, you know millennials and and the ones that are still in high school that we're looking to get into it and the government
0: francisco thanks very much for coming on it's great to thank you for me. having me don't forget if you miss an episode of government matters you can find it on our website govmatters.tv you get a preview of every one of our programs by signing up for our daily program guide you just text govmatters to the number 22828 i'm back in two minutes That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at eight and eleven on WJLA twenty four seven news, and next Sunday morning at ten thirty on ABC seven to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Cherise Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Andrew Wagner.